This morning, we're going to push pause on our journey we've been in in 1 Corinthians because as a family, I do want to, to talk about uh, what's going on with Ezra. And so I know a lot of you are disconnected. You don't know the Fullerton family, uh, but I think you can put yourself in, this, the, in, in their shoes to a degree. And I think this morning what I want to do is I want to really talk about the nature of, of grief, the nature of, uh, of suffering. Um, and, and I want to encourage you this morning, I'm not going to answer a single question that, that these things arise, because I recognize that, that in the context of, of struggles, in the context of suffering, that there are so many questions, and, and there honestly aren't clear answers for a lot of these things. I said yesterday that Kenneth Surin, this philosopher guy, and I'm just going to paraphrase again, be probably a little different than how I said it yesterday, but he basically said, and all of this philosophy and theology of suffering and of death, he said, he said, I see all of these things and nothing provides answers. The only thing that provides answers for an individual is a direct impartation from Jesus into their life. And so I want to say in the context of everything that you're dealing with and struggling with, whether it's in the context of the Fullertons, in the context of your own situation of life, you can turn to lots of people, but they will not have answers. Only a direct impartation from Jesus ultimately, ultimately will bring answers to the questions that you have. And that's what we're believing and and praying for uh, this morning and this journey that we're on. So I wanted this this morning. I want to speak about uh, this suffering. I want to speak about about these issues and this impartation and kind of lead us into things, honestly, kind of you can become aware of and things that you can begin to pray into. Because the picture I had this week as I prayed, it was a really clear picture from the Lord. Um, I was praying about the, the Fullertons. And I was praying about all of this. And, and in the moment, uh, I, I, saw, I saw, it was like a, I saw a person. I saw a person. And, and this, I can't do a great, it's like a, it's a picture I had in my mind. So I can't do it fully justice of what I felt and what I see. But, but the picture was of someone, um, and it was like in, with, in the, standing on this foundation, on this hard place, this foundation, right? And all of a sudden, this, this, everything they were in, it was like, almost like I, I saw it as the hands of the Lord, okay? But it's like all of a sudden the hands of the Lord were moving and they were, and it was, and the person inside was shaken. And, and I recognized it very clearly. It's like, that's what moments like this feel like, isn't it? Moments of hardship, moments of difficulty. It's like, we literally feel shaken. And if you've ever been like on one of those stupid roller coasters that shakes you to death, you get off and feel disoriented. And that's what it feels like in the shaking. And so when you become spiritually shaken, it's even that much more disorienting, isn't it? Like you, you're just shaken and you're sitting there and you can't see. And, and, what I, and I felt like God was speaking is that there are the, the, the primary thing that has to happen in a shaking moment is for our roots to be established deep into the foundation. Doesn't mean there's, doesn't mean you're not shaken. Doesn't mean there's not a level of disorientation, but the, the deeper the roots, right? The deeper the foundation, the more grounded we are, honestly, for our life, the more grounded that we are, the less disorienting this shaking has in our life. And I felt like God was saying very clearly that he really wanted to, he wanted to dig our roots and be grounded. Not to say that we wouldn't feel shaken doesn't mean we wouldn't feel disoriented to a, a degree. But I saw a picture of like this shaking and this firm foundation, this person's been making forth, but it's like they're so rooted and established in the love and the knowledge of Jesus that yes, it was disorienting, but it was not overwhelming. 
And what I felt like God was saying is that he really wants to do this work in each of our lives, that we truly have this nature of being grounded, that yes, we will feel shaken. Yes, we will grieve. Yes, it will be difficult, but that we could stand firm and secure in this rootedness, this groundedness for our life in the person of Jesus. And so that's what we're going to talk about this morning. If y'all are okay, y'all are cool with that? Y'all okay with that? Amita, you okay with that? Okay, good. All right. So the picture I want to dive into um, is from Luke 24. It's a real familiar story. So if you have your Bibles, you can turn there. Luke 24, I'm going to read 13 through 21 and skip down and read 30 and 32. This is the story of the walk to Emmaus. And, I, and, and as I began to prepare for, for this Sunday, this was the story that, that really stuck out to me because it was real people with real experiences who experienced a real shaking in their own life and who had a very real and authentic relationship with Jesus. And I love this because this is, I feel like, is so us. And so as I read through, I I want you to not read it as the walk to Emmaus, but I want you to read it as those who have suffered greatly in a great loss. They've been shaken and disoriented, and they don't even know how to function in life. You ready? Here we go. Let's dive in. Verse 13. This is after the death of Jesus. It says, Now that same day, two of them, two disciples, were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking to each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came up and walked along with them. And I want you to hear these next words. But they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, Hey, what are you discussing together as you walk along? Hear these words. They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? Basically, are you an idiot? That's basically what he said to Jesus, okay? Verse 19. What things? Don't you love that? What things, Jesus asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. Read verse 21. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more is the third day since all this took place. Skip into verse 30. When they had come to the house, they come to the table. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. He disappeared. God, I'm crying. Disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures? To us. What I want you to see in the story is these real men who are having this, this, this real experience of sorrow, of grieving, and of grief in their life, right? They've suffered greatly. They're experiencing this true nature of grief in their life. And they had an authentic relationship with Jesus. They loved Him. They knew Jesus. They had walked with Jesus. He was a part of their life, and he was everything to them. All of their hopes and all their aspirations had been put upon the person of Jesus. And when he dies, we see in verse 16, it says they were kept from recognizing him. Now, most theologians probably 
probably put this in kind of the spiritual realm that Jesus, and you probably heard teachings on this. This is a favorite of people around Easter, right? They were, there's a good chance that literally they were shrouded in their view that God did like his Jedi mind trick was like really a God mind trick, whatever, but Jedi mind trick, you know what I'm saying? Like you, you shall not pass here, whatever it is, right? It's like, you should not see Jesus, whatever it is. Like there's that moment probably happening, but we don't really know because the other flip side to this is that this understanding that in the context of grief and sorrow, I've learned that it has, it does a powerful work of shrouding us and our view of Jesus. Like, have you ever had those moments of it's been so painful and so utterly overwhelming that you go to look for Jesus and you just can't hear him? Like you can't find him. He's not, he's not readily available to you, right? To, you can't emotionally experience him. You can't emotionally feel him. You, you can't hear his voice and you're left in this moment, right? And you're sitting there going, oh, and you're looking around and he feels like he's a million miles away. It's as if in our grief and our sorrow, that's such a shaking to us and disorienting that we literally cannot see him. And so I just wonder here, and I heard, I've heard people to preach on this before, that this type of sorrow and this type of pain, it can literally change the way that we perceive, that we communicate, and that we see life. Like it literally has this shaking that it can do in our lives. Honestly, Jesus could have been visible to them, but they were so shrouded in this hopelessness and so shrouded in their pain and so shrouded in their their difficulty of life that maybe they just literally just could not believe it was him. They could not see him. This is what the nature of pain and suffering and grief does. It has this shrouding effect in our lives. And we can honestly say that that it's understandable. Death is is and should always be a shock to our system. Always should be a shock to our system. But as I said yesterday, it's not natural. Death is absolutely unnatural because it was not God's intended plan from the time of creation. Death was something that was introduced later as an effect of sin. Death didn't exist until sin entered the world, which then made death unnatural to humanity. Why do we think that, why is death so shocking and so overwhelming to us no matter what, where we are in life? Because it's unnatural. We were not designed to ever die. And so when it happens, it's overwhelming. And when it's a, a child or someone who dies Early in life, who's not lived a full life, it's even more unnatural. It's even more unsettling. It's even more unnerving. And then death has this shroud that it casts over us. Because we don't understand. We have this here, right? There's, they, 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 they were just overcome by this. Because they literally thought Jesus was the Redeemer. He should never die. But here he is in his early 30s passing away. 1 Corinthians 15.26 tells us that the last enemy of God to be destroyed is death. It's not part of a natural plan, but it's the last enemy of God, which means it will be part of our life. So in this place, grief and sorrow will cause us to struggle. It will cause us to ask questions, and many times it will shroud us from seeing Jesus. Jesus. 
But as we will talk about in a minute, even though we can't see him in our shaking, he is with us. The second thing we see is verse 17. They stood still with their faces downcast in verse 17. It's interesting. So Jesus comes along and says, hey, what's going on in Jerusalem? Hey, what are you? You know, what's going on? And it says that they stood still with their faces down. Can't you just see the weight of the moment? Like in the moment, the 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 weight of the question, the weight of the question was so much that it literally stopped them in their tracks and they couldn't even lift their head. Do you see the nature of grief? The nature of sorrow. This is a really natural response. They can't move. They can't function. They can't even look up. I'm naming these things because these are our experiences. This is natural for us. It is good for us to have these overwhelming sense of what's going on. This is the nature and journey of our grief and our sorrow. They're literally stopped in their tracks because death always casts a shadow. Grief and sorrow always produces a shadow and it's always heavy. I just challenge you to read through the scriptures and find those who are facing death. Because every time they face death, it's overwhelming. Read the story of Abraham and Isaac. Abraham is undone at the thought of what God's calling him to do with Isaac. Read about David in 2 Samuel 6 with the death of his newborn. Like he literally, he's undone. He He leaves everyone. He goes into the temple, sackcloth and ashes for several days on his own to to lament and to grieve and to cry out to God. It's overwhelming. Then we go on later in life and David faces the death of his other son, Absalom, who he never fully reconciled with before he died. He's overwhelmed, like Absalom's literally coming against David, trying to overthrow David. And then and Absalom gets killed, riding his horse, and David grieves and mourns in this moment. Think about Joshua and the death of Moses. I mean, you see it, and God has to say to him, hey, be strong and courageous. I'll say it again, be strong and courageous. I'll say it again, be strong and courageous. Because there was nothing that Joshua was feeling inside of him about being strong and courageous. He was undone. He was overwhelmed. The father of the people, the one that he looked up to had died, and now all the weight of leadership fell on his shoulders. He's like, oh, he couldn't even talk. Death is overwhelming. Think about Jesus. I talked this yesterday. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane. Literally, he's grieved, overwhelmed with the truth of death and suffering that lies in front of him. It's overwhelming. And then I said yesterday, God himself and the death of Jesus, his son, that literally it says when Jesus died, it's like all of a sudden it just grew dark because it's overwhelming. God had to literally turn his back on his own son because the sin of the world was upon his shoulders. Like there's, there's so it's overwhelming. My point in sharing this is because we have to recognize the nature and this journey of grief and of suffering. Like these are real things that happen. We have to acknowledge the path. In verse 21, it says we had hope. These are all things we struggle with. It says we had hope. There's nothing sadder than this phrase because it meant that hope was lost. 
Like this is the nature of it. Hope is lost. He goes on to say he had hoped that Jesus was the Redeemer, the Christ. I mean, these guys, Cleopas and whoever he's walking with, had put all of their personal eggs in the Jesus basket. Like, why are they walking to Emmaus? Like, is that where they're from? Because they had literally given up everything in their life to follow Jesus in Jerusalem. And now they had that long walk home of pure emptiness because nothing that they had hoped for and believed in and told their family they were doing has actually come to fruition. Everything has been lost. I mean, people have been praying for Ezra, crying out to to Jesus for healing and for restoration, believing God in faith, and he died. What do we do with that? We had put all of our hope in this basket of Jesus. And now Jesus didn't heal like we thought that he would. Like, listen, the worst thing that you can do in your relationship with Jesus is pretend like things that are bothering you aren't bothering you. And you can go read till you're blue in the face. That's why you need an impartation from Jesus. I'm naming these things. You're like, how is, like, some of you are like, oh my gosh, how's Stephen get himself out of this one this morning? Like, he's naming some really big things. I hope he knows what he's talking about. I have no idea what I'm talking about. And I don't need to because Jesus is the one who imports. I'm not leading you to me. I'm leading you to Jesus. I'm leading you to honesty. I'm leading you to be honest with your struggles and these things that you wrestle with, with Jesus. People, listen, you want to find the quickest people to be stunted in their growth with Jesus? They take their issues they have with him and they suppress them and never deal with them. And they grow stagnant and stop growing in their relationship with the Lord. When my mom died... When I was 23 years old, I had this like angry with Jesus and I was loving him at the same time. Angry with God. Why? And I'm over here. And you know what answer he gave me? Not much. He said, I'm with you. Like I had to reconcile this with God. I had to go through months and months of being honest with the Lord and processing with him. And you know what happened? In the moment I found peace in the Lord. Didn't say, I didn't ever, I never said, God, thank you for killing my mom. That was awesome. Good job. No, because he didn't kill my mom. But I just like, God, oh, this struggle. But I got to this place of like impartation of God's nearness. He came and spoke into my life in the moment. There was this breakthrough because I was honest with him. Suffering, grieving and difficulties demands honesty. But it's important in that, that we recognize Jesus, because, see, that's the nature. These guys had hoped this morning. This is where we are. So many of us. As my buddy Mark said in discipleship on Thursday morning, is there a silver bullet for death of a child and suffering? <laughs> I was like, no, there's nothing silver bullet to tell people. <laughs> He's like, dang it, you know, but there's not. And so this nature is that requires and demands, again, us being fully honest with the Lord. And so here are some things as you come into this, this time with Jesus of processing and of being honest, whether it's with the Fullerton issue or your own. Because my guess is, because human beings are really good at this, my guess is that every single one of us in some area of our life have suppressed an honest question before the Lord that we actually need to wrestle with with him and let him answer. 
Some of you have stopped believing God in prayer for things he didn't answer you 30 years ago. And you've kind of just been running this track with him, like trying to manage your, your, your doubts and your struggles. So you just stop praying for things. Do you know what I did if my mom died? I prayed for healing for everyone. Everyone. Because I said, God, you not answering this does not mean you don't still heal. So, God, I will continue to pray for every person for healing until they are healed or they die. That's what I have to do. This is my own personal impartation. You can't have mine. You've got to come to your own impartation from G- with Jesus. So here's some things for you to consider as you pray and wrestle with the Lord. It's perfectly fine to wrestle with the Lord. He's strong enough. Number one, your stance on the goodness of God will determine how well you make it through difficult times. This is just something to consider, something you pray through. Your stance on the goodness of God will determine how well you make it through difficult times. We sang sang this morning, you're a good, good father. It's who you are. It's who you are. It's who you are. And we love that song. How does he feel so good, right? But the question we have to ask is, is God's goodness as a father dependent on only good things happening in our lives? Like, is the goodness of God dependent only on you experiencing the kindness of God, the blessing of God, the good feelings of God? Is your understanding of God's goodness, is your theology on the goodness of God based on Him only doing what you think makes you feel good in life? Or maybe could your goodness, as a, the goodness of God as a father, be dependent on Him walking with us in every trial temptation and suffering maybe our goodness is dependent upon god being with us never forsaking us and being with us as we walk through hell maybe that's what defines the goodness of god think about these guys right here don't miss this journey to emmaus they are walking and jesus comes and walks with them In the midst of their pain and suffering, and they don't even know it. Maybe that's what defines the goodness of God as a father. They are unaware, but he is with them. They feel Jesus has left them alone. All of their hopes have been crushed, but Jesus is with them. Maybe, just maybe, our theology of the goodness of God should shift. Jesus, as far as I've ever read in Scripture, never promises that our lives will be perfect without suffering, without death. My reading tells me he only promises that he will never leave us or turn his back on us when we are going through hell. Psalm 23, you love to quote it. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Maybe this is something we process. We ask God to bring an awakening in in our life. We say, God, impart wisdom, impart this thing that fills me with your spirit. God, if you are truly walking with me, I pray that you would impart this knowledge, God, this right theology on your goodness. Second thing to consider, Jesus suffered every way that you have suffered. 
Now, Isaiah 53, we are told that Jesus is the suffering serpent. In fact, we celebrate this suffering at Easter, right? We name his cross, the beatings he endured, the separation from the Father that would have been overwhelming. Like we look at every single one of the disciples, except, uh, for, well, actually for every single one of them, except maybe John, were crucified and killed for their faith. They all suffered horribly for the name of Jesus and died horrendous and painful deaths. In this, we see Jesus suffered, his disciples suffered in every way that we suffered. In that moment, in that moment, right, the father turned his back on sin that was thrust upon Jesus on the cross. We see this image of father and son who are both experiencing great pain. If Jesus is God, which you have to believe, then that meant that God suffered on the cross. God has suffered. And the theology piece you have to recognize is that death is a result of sin. Therefore, that when Jesus died, he literally experienced the pain of death for every person who's died in their family on the cross, which meant that Jesus literally, with the fuller sense, is experiencing the pain and the suffering that they went through so that Jesus was never over here looking from a distance with binoculars about how's, how's it going in pain and suffering and death. No, he was literally with, walking with, and experiencing fully with suffering and pain that we all suffer. So there's something powerful about knowing that I worship a God who's not distant, but, and, and not even who's just with me, but who is suffering with me. For some reason, that has brought this, this reality of like, it's not just that God allows suffering. God has allowed his own son to suffer, but so that he could suffer along with us. So that in our suffering, we would never actually be alone. And that is a powerful thought. The third thing I want you to ponder and ask for this awakening in. We must view death in light of the length of eternity. We must view death in light of the length of eternity. Philip Yancey, I read this yesterday in his book, The Jesus I Never Knew, describing this eternal perspective. And it's on the screen. It says, the mourners, the mourners, those who are weeping, feel grief naturally. Right? It's natural. But they experience it in its proper place. As an interruption, a temporary setback and a battle whose end has already been determined. Like this, read that again until it begins to sink in. Like to sit here, like it's not, if I look at the Fullerton, look at anyone who's suffered and said, hey, but at least they're spending eternity in heaven. That's not going to make them feel better <laughs> in the moment. It's not. Like because they're still experiencing loss. But there's something that births a level of hope inside of us and knowing that this is temporary this life is temporary that we will see again that ezra literally is with the father in worship experiencing no pain and fully enjoying the fullness of eternity we rest in this it's right and good for us to have our vision stretched and our understanding of eternity eternal life to have our 
understanding stretched and this understanding of temporary nature of our life compared to eternity for Jesus and with Jesus. It's good for us to have that view shape our understanding of all of life. The great danger is that we don't recognize that we're actually already have stepped into eternal life. That we are physical beings and spiritual beings. The moment I gave my life to Jesus, I literally stepped into eternity in the heavenlies. It's crazy. I literally am an eternal being. Therefore, eternity should define my understanding. An eternal view, an eternal view gives us hope because we know this life is temporary and incomplete. And what lies ahead of us is actually more like our real life. It's more fulfilling and it's joyous as we spend eternity in perfection with our loving Father. In Second Corinthians, chapter five, excuse me, chapter fifteen. Chapter 15, it says this, it says, in a moment, twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet, the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable, will be changed for this perishable must put on the imperishable and this mortal must put on immortality. And in that death will be swallowed up in victory. Oh, death, where is your victory? And oh, death, where is your sting? But thanks be to God who gives us victory through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Like we read that and we recognize this eternal perspective. Paul speaks about this in First Thessalonians four, thirteen and fourteen. I read it yesterday. It says, Brothers and sisters, we do not want you to be uninformed about those who sleep in death, so that you do not grieve like the rest of mankind who have no hope. For we believe that Jesus died and rose again, and so we believe that God will bring with Jesus those who have fallen asleep in him. See, we're at different places this morning. We're at different places this morning in the area of our grief, and some of us feel very disconnected. But I want to say this morning, though, in our journey, there are these things that God wants to awaken in us. He wants us to be fully honest. He wants us to wrestle and struggle and not suppress things. He wants us to pull out and deal with, and he then wants to impart because he walks with us. He is not distant from us, but he is with us. We see this in the walk to Emmaus. They are shrouded in their understanding standing in their view. And the thing that's interesting as we come into our time of ministry this morning is I love that Jesus just walks with them for a long time. Like he literally finishes the journey to Emmaus. And and then he's going to leave. They say, no, come with us. And so Jesus comes home with them. And in all of this, he's yet to impart Right. He's yet to like he could have said they could have said this Jesus who died. He goes, hey, here I am. Woo-hoo, right. But he wanted to do this work inside of them, this work of healing, this work of restoration. And that took it took a journey. And in a perfect timing, God imparted Jesus imparted this here I am knowledge. And so the tension for us in, in this is that we want an immediate impartation of something specific. And Jesus says, it's enough to know that I'm here and I will impart when the time is right. And that's part of this thing we have to wrestle with, is we are really good at telling Jesus what his timing should be in our lives. 
And our faithfulness should be to come and to wrestle, to seek after, and to, and to acknowledge who He is and allow awakening to happen until He brings ultimate impartation that produces the life that we're asking for. And so this morning, again, I'm done. And you're like, is that really where you're going to leave us, Steve, this morning? There's a lot more questions and answers that I have. And yes, it's where I'm going to leave you. But I leave you in good hands. I leave you in the hands of Jesus. And I ask you to go into the wrestling. I ask you to go into the honesty. I ask you to wrestle through this. But keep in mind these pieces that I've spoken about of Jesus walking with us, right, and being with us. This idea of our theology of knowing that God is good that we're rooted and established in this, right? That Jesus has suffered. He understands. He's empathetic and he's with us. And this eternal view and perspective. These are just the beginning. And then allow God to begin to awaken and impart other things inside of you. Let's pray together. Father, this morning, we recognize, Jesus, that there are lots of things in this world that are not just neat and tidy. God, this is one of them. And Lord, you know this morning that we are in need. And uh, ask, Father, that you would speak life into each of those, each of us, Lord, who are wrestling this morning. Even now, God, I, I pray that people would just begin to be honest with you. I pray, thank you, Jesus, that as a good, good father, that you are faithful to meet us. You are faithful to walk with us. I am praying, Jesus, that you would open our eyes, God, to see you. And that, God, you would speak into our broken places, into our questions. That, God, we wouldn't be too quick to, to rush into an answer, be too quick to make an excuse for you. God, you're completely fine with who you are. And this morning, I pray, Jesus, in this tension that maybe creates fear for people, that you would quiet fear, that you would awaken honesty and truth, and that you would awaken your nearness and your goodness in our hearts so that, God, we can take a difficult journey with you. Father, we bless you. We pray this in your name. Amen.